Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. A young pastor had just arrived in town to serve her new congregation. She had prepared her sermon and was on the way to her office one Saturday morning to practice it just before Sunday, and she was feeling pretty good about the sermon, and so she saw a garage sale, and she decided she had time. She'd stop and take a look at what was available. As she was at the garage sale, she found two books that she wanted, and they were a quarter apiece. But when she went to pay, she discovered, and was embarrassed to discover, that she had left her wallet at home. Apologetic, but still seeking a positive angle, the woman told the man running the garage sale, well, I am the new pastor at the Church of the Good Shepherd, and if you come to worship tomorrow, I will repay you the 50 cents that I owe you. Well, the man said, that'd be great. I will come to worship tomorrow, but, but don't worry, I will count your sermon as payment in full. The woman then said, well, I'm not sure that I'll be preaching a two-bit sermon. (laughs) To which the man replied, that's okay, I'll come twice. (laughs) That pastor and her would-be parishioner had two very different ideas about the value of a sermon. For a preacher who can spend up to one hour in preparation for every minute of the sermon that is preached, the value of those efforts can feel quite high. But for those who have to endure those efforts, uh, they might have a very different perspective. I had three preaching classes in seminary. I've read a number of books on preaching. And still, I think the most memorable thing that I ever learned about preaching was uh, advice given to me by a retired Navy chaplain. He said that good preaching is about two things. It's about God, and it's about 20 minutes. The, uh, I want to read for you uh, a part of, of what we hear about the first sermon that was ever preached by the Apostle Peter. It begins in Acts 2, verse 14, where it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. And then that sermon uh, goes all the way uh, through verse 36. And this is how at the ending of the sermon, he says, Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus who you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. Very early on in my ministry, Baylor University put together a list of America's 12 most effective preachers. To come up with this list, they surveyed 341 seminary professors and editors of religious journals. And then Newsweek uh, magazine contacted all of these uh, ministers, these preachers, to ask them about the challenge of preaching in modern times. And remember, this is 1996, so it's a while ago. But what they said seems awfully current to me. One of them lamented that television has reduced preaching to, quote, sound bites, imagistic bursts, and episodic narratives. Another of them, a, a preacher of preachers, noted the danger that emerges uh, when the entire worship service rests, the burden of that is upon the preacher. He said, it sets the minister up for big ego trips. That or an inferiority complex. Another preacher, now a, uh, a retired United Methodist bishop, told Newsweek that preachers who are praised for their sermons need to remember that Jesus was mostly rejected for what he said and did. If there's one thing worse than being re, uh, ex, re, ex, rejected as a preacher, it's being accepted. One of Methodism's founders, John Wesley, uh, was a prolific and popular preacher in his day. This was the early 1700s. And I want to read uh, for you from his journal uh, about uh, some excerpts. This is 19... Uh, his 1738 journal, okay? Sunday, May 7th. I preached at St. Lawrence's in the morning and afterwards at St. Catherine's Crees. I was enabled to speak strong words at both and was therefore the less surprised at being informed I was not to preach anymore at either of those churches. <laughs> Tuesday, May 9th, I preached at Great St. Helens to a very numerous congregation, my heart was so enlarged as to declare the love of God to all that were oppressed by the devil that I did not wonder in the least when I was afterwards told, Sir, you must preach here no more. <laughs> Sunday, May 14th, I preached in the morning at St. Anne's. I was quickly apprised that I am to preach there no more. So if you weren't counting, that is four times within seven days that John Wesley was invited not to preach in those pulpits ever again. The Acts passage, as I said for this morning, is the conclusion of the first recorded sermon that was preached 
following Jesus' death and resurrection. And Peter was clearly successful in this, his first ever preaching endeavor. He converted about 3,000 people that day. But I want you to notice that Acts uh, 2.41 focuses only on the positive results. Acts does not tell us how many people did not accept, how many people left, how many people fell asleep during that message. We do know that Peter's preaching career did not end quite so well as it started. In the year 64, Peter was crucified upside down. So Peter knew as much as anyone about being rejected for the message that he was sharing, including Jesus. But our Acts reading this morning does reveal that uh, Peter, at least initially, preached in a way that moved those who were listening to respond. And I want to explore this passage with you a little bit more this morning, but from a slightly different angle. I want to invite us to think about what makes for good preaching not from the preacher's side of things, but from the side of those who must endure the sermon. From this passage, it seems to me that good preaching, hearing good preaching, includes four elements. And first, it includes the willingness to listen. To really listen that thousands of people were willing to listen to Peter, even to things they would have found offensive, is quite remarkable to me. Think about it. These folks had gathered in Jerusalem for an entirely different religious event. And then Peter preaches a message that is both severe and convicting. I read the concluding part for you. God made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus who you, who you crucified. Now, this was 50 days after the crucifixion event. And so certainly not all of those who were in the temple when Peter was preaching were also there when Jesus was crucified. Some of them had to go home. And then some new people had to come. So so not all of them participated in Jesus' death. And yet, Peter is telling them that they are somehow responsible. That wasn't the message they came to hear. Now, this, I, I know this might put some people on edge, but I think it's the right analogy. Think about what we're going through these days with some of the racial tensions in our nation. Some people are saying, well, those things that happened long ago still have effects today, systemically. 
But the minute some of us hear that we might somehow be involved in something that happened hundreds of years ago or might benefit from it, we get defensive. We say, we weren't part of that. I, I really think, and that's the, only, that's the analogy that I'm drawing. I think the same thing, that the people who were gathered in Jerusalem can say, hey, no, not us. We weren't here for that. But they didn't do that. For whatever reason, they were willing to listen and consider how they might be intertwined in that event. It's a really challenging word. But in his book, Surviving the Sermon, David Schlafer reminds us we come to church not as food critics for the local newspaper, but as hungry people who need to be nourished for growth and service. So we come not just to critique, but to listen and to think, ah, I might need to consider that. So that's one. Which leans into a second component of hearing good preaching, a willingness to learn and to grow. The crowd who listened to Peter was willing to hear something different than what they had come to hear, right? They were there for an entirely different reason. And, you know, every so often after I preach a sermon, I'll get in, somebody will shoot me an email. It's usually somebody who's not a member. It's maybe a guest who's been here. And they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, that's not what I learned in Sunday school. Or they'll say, you know, that's not what I learned at church camp. Which sort of implies that everything we need to know about God, Jesus, the Bible, can be learned sometime between the ages of 12 and 16. I mean, can you imagine somebody sitting in a college calculus class and going, you know, that's not what I learned in my junior high math class. <laughs> and yet, there seems to be this assumption that everything we need to know about God and Jesus and the Bible can, is knowable by the time we're 12. Uh, you know what, friends? I am still learning about God and Jesus and the Bible, and I hope I never stop learning until that day when I meet my maker. And you know what? I am absolutely certain that when that happens, God's going to look at me and say, Pastor Rob, you've got a few things wrong. There's a few things you didn't understand, and I'll be fine with that. But I want to continue to learn and grow until my dying day. When, uh, when Peter preached to the crowd quoting scripture to interpret the death of Jesus, he was saying things that they had never heard before. And they didn't say, you know what, that's not the way I learned it before my bar mitzvah. No, verse 37 reports that they asked Peter so now what do we do? So that meant they were eager to take steps to grow and to change based on what they were hearing. So our ability to hear good preaching really improves when we're ready to come in and say, so now what do we do with that? What do I do differently than I've been doing? 
because of what I have heard um, in the sermon. A third uh, element of hearing good preaching has to do with being part of a community. And uh, by which I mean a community of faith that is sustained by God's living word and open to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Later on in Acts, in Acts 10, Peter is going to have a really dramatic vision that will contradict everything that he thought he knew about interacting with Gentiles. Uh, Both Scripture and tradition had told him, a, a practicing Jew, he was following Jesus, but he was Jewish, told him uh, that, that he should not associate with Gentiles, that they were unclean. They were not God's chosen people. And, then, and yet, in Acts 10, 34 through 36, after this vision, Peter says, I, am re- I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know, I say good news, great joy, all people, because that's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say good news, great joy, some people. Or if you find it, let me know. But I don't think you're going to find it in the New Testament. Friends, but, but for Peter, this was absolutely unthinkable. But notice, pay really careful attention. He wasn't converted by Scripture, was he? If you go to Acts 10, he was converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm convinced that some folks uh, use the Bible as sort of a bomb shelter (laughs) against, you know, the intervention of the Holy Spirit. It's a force force field. But, But if we look at this Acts 2 passage, Peter promises that those uh, being baptized, that baptism will inject them with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. Why did he say that? Because there was no written testimony to Jesus by this point. It's 50 days after Pentecost. No written testimony. Paul hadn't been converted yet. There were no epistles. There was nothing known as the New Testament whatsoever. Now, what I'm, I'm not saying that the Bible is unimportant, far be that uh, for me, but, but what I am saying is that when we use the Bible to avoid the influence of the Holy Spirit, we are not being true to what the Scripture itself tells us about the way God works. God will work, even against those who want to use this as their kind of force field against considering new things. 
A final way to hear uh, good preaching, uh, well, it begins with love. And in this case, I'm not talking about love of neighbor. What I'm talking about here is love of God. Um, we don't gather, or we shouldn't just gather, because it's the thing to do on Sunday morning. This is what I do. <laughs> uh, that's a good reason, you know, develop a habit. Um, we don't primarily gather because we just need a spiritual recharge. We don't gather uh, because we want to hear what the band or the choir might sing, though it was lovely. Thank you very much. Uh, but it, that's the... Uh, that's not the primary reason we gather. Our primary motivation for gathering should be because we want to come and express our love for God. You know, um, this, uh, this, this thing, this last thing, coming to worship to express love for God, it's not all that easy in truth. I, I remember a pastor friend of mine told me, I, and I agree with him, he said, I find it easy to thank God. I find it very hard to praise God. Those are two different things. I find it really easy to say, thank you, God, for all the blessings of my life. I find it really difficult to say, I love you, Lord. What a magnificent God you are. So two very different things. And I do think it's especially difficult to love God when the Holy Spirit is calling us to do things that stretch our spiritual boundaries and even crash through our spiritual barriers. But this is what Scripture reveals will happen for those who want to hear really good preaching. Let's be in prayer. Holy God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. May we always keep both of these things together as we strive to lead lives of discipleship, as we try to to deepen our roots into the soil, the good soil of your love and grace. God, help us to be ready to learn, to listen, to grow, to change, to open ourselves to the power of your spirit that gave birth to your church and without which we would truly be nothing at all. In Christ's name we pray, amen.